You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm talking with Nick and Laura Armstrong. They are co-founders of Glocal Community Partners. Nick and Laura, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate thanks for the, having us. Yeah. Yeah. Can you guys tell us a little bit about your ministry, Glocal Community Partners, and maybe share why you exist and what do you guys do? Sure. Yeah. Glocal uh, is a, a ministry that uh, essentially we work very closely with resettlement agencies uh, that are resettling refugees into Boise and the surrounding areas. And the main thing that we do is, is to just mobilize the church volunteers as well as to disciple and train those volunteers and then connect the volunteers uh, with refugee families through a variety of different programs. And, and uh, I think probably the centerpiece of those programs is uh, friendship teams that uh, allow for friendships between certain groups, uh, could be Bible study, a family, with a refugee family and uh, just doing life together, having tea together, being able to just uh, develop a relationship and friendships through that. But then we have a lot of other programs. Probably Laura will go into those as we get go along in this interview. So uh, that's that's really what we're set up to do and uh, that's yeah. what Local's about. So how'd you guys get started in this? Well, yeah, we uh, were. Oh, I'm going to let uh, Laura answer that. You can edit that yeah, out. Jump right in. <laughs> I'm looking at him going. No, um, so Nick and I had spent 23 years in Indonesia, and we had worked um, as overseas workers there. I was at a, a school, an international school, and Nick was doing relief and development with a Christian agency. And it was just getting to that point where we knew that God was calling us back to the States. And so our daughter actually was here at Boise State and had done some student learning, volunteering with World Relief, who was used to be here, was a resettlement agency here in Boise. And so she was the one that really um, said to us, why don't you work with people who've come as refugees here in Boise? And so that little nugget from her is what got us thinking about doing a ministry here that was different than what the resettlement agencies do, because we didn't want to become a resettlement agency. And mm -hmm. so we saw um, a couple of different organizations. One was in the Chicago area and one was in Tucson, where they really were trying to fill in gaps that the agencies don't aren't able to do, that they don't have the bandwidth. And a lot of that is the friendship part of just building relationships. Mm -hmm. And so that's how Glocal was designed. And um, we started out under a local church here in Boise, but in the last year and a half became our own nonprofit. Now we're a standalone organization ministry. Cool. So you guys saw 
a need that some of those larger uh, resettlement agencies weren't able to serve, probably just because of their size and scope of work that they were focused on and saw an opportunity to serve that need. Yeah, I, I think really that relational part that the agencies have a list of things that they have to get done with the clients, with the people who've come in. And so a lot of times they just don't have that time to build social capital and to build those relationships. And so being an, an organization, an agent or a ministry that's able to do those connecting um, has just been really key for a lot of families that come in just to give them that extra relational touch that they wouldn't have otherwise. Mm-hmm. So as you've, as you've grown the organization and built and developed it, what are some of the challenges and struggles you guys have come up against? Um, Cause there's always ever present challenges and struggles <laughs> as you grow up ministry, right? I think, um, yeah, probably bandwidth and just, you know, at times feeling overwhelmed by how much there is to do and how many people are not getting any extra connections. Um, so at times, yeah, recruiting volunteers to be friendship, a friendship team for a mm. family at times has been difficult depending on what's going on around. Um so I would say, yeah, just a lot of times just really busy bandwidth. I don't know. What else would you say would be some of those? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, also we, the numbers are uh, continually going up on a global level. You know, there's mm-hmm. over 103 million people that are considered forcibly displaced. 33 million of those are refugees. And so um, we the United States is a resettlement country and and maybe I'll explain a little bit more about that later, but just the idea that those that are coming into the United States um, are, you know, there's just a great need for, you know, helping them to get resettled into a new situation where they find uh, safety and and, uh, Mm -hmm. refuge here in the United States. And so trying to do that in a way that uh, just, uh, you know, accommodates uh, those that have come into Boise and uh, getting them connected with people can be a challenge, you know, in some ways there's uh, cross-cultural differences mm-hmm. and there's those things that some Trauma. people are, are somewhat fearful, you know, in terms of stepping into a situation where there's a lot of unknown. And so I think some of it just has to do with helping people understand that the people who've come are, are you know, people who have families, they have children, they have a lot of the same, you know, aspirations for their families to flourish and their kids to get educated, that sort of a thing. But there's this unknown that it's hard to bridge that gap. And so, you know, I think that's a lot of what Glocal is is trying to do is to just educate the church and Mm -hmm. say, you know, this is part of who we are as a church it's foundational to following jesus and and hey let's uh let's see what we can do to step into the situation rather than stepping back yeah i i imagine it would be difficult in this space but how how does foreign policy politics and border policy play a role in in support you guys get from the local church especially in a conservative state like idaho who tend 
like that side of the aisle tends to be a little less, uh, maybe we'll just say friendly in that space. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, I would say, you know, how we view uh, immigrants, the sojourner, the stranger, uh, is largely going to determine how we view immigration policy and border policy and that sort of a thing. And so, um, you know, I think one of the things that we have to be reminded of as a church is that we need to, as followers of Jesus, we need to be really shaped by the life and the teachings of Jesus. Um, and, uh, you know, really what the entirety of the Bible says about welcoming the stranger and the Hebrew mm -hmm. scriptures you know, uses a, a term for sojourner or immigrant that's gear used 92 times in the context of the uh, care and welcome of stranger and so that you know it's it, it's very important part <laughs> of who we are as um, as followers of Jesus to to be informed by that rather than uh, allowing for partisan politics um, and, uh, you know, that sort of a thing to shape uh, our, our view on immigration and border policy. So our immigration and border policy should be shaped really by, you know, the Bible as well as uh, Jesus' life and, and teachings. And so I, I'm, you know, that's, that's part of the challenge, but it's also, it, it helps us to understand what, kind of what's going on and why sometimes mm -hmm. church, you know, uh, it isn't, isn't embracing this rather mm -hmm. than, you know, right. You know, stepping back. Do you find that, that it's, it's difficult to get churches on board with supporting what you guys are doing because of that, because of some of those views? Yeah. What did no, I, well, I just would say, I mean, I, I think Nick probably can flesh this out more, but I think it just depends on the church and the church body. Um, we work with a lot of churches, but we work with a lot of individuals from churches. And so mm. um, we've seen where maybe they come from a church that may not be open to it, but they themselves really see and have a burden and a vision for that. So yeah, I don't know what else yeah. you want to add to that. Yeah, I would say it's a, you know, it's a mixed bag in terms some churches um, shy away um, and some churches have really embraced us. So, uh, you know, I think uh, it's like Laura said, there are volunteers that come forward uh, that perhaps their church hasn't really dealt with with uh, refugees before or, or they haven't mm -hmm. really thought through it but they themselves uh, really feel a, a calling to get involved and so you know most of our our support and encouragement and prayer and and financial support has really come through those individuals although we do have some churches supporting yeah. us as well <clears throat> yeah it's it's been a mixed bag in that regard that's cool now you you guys have touched on it a little bit this relational aspect um that is so central to the ministry. What are what are some of the end goals or the purpose behind connecting volunteers and churches to refugees in the area? Is it disciple making? Is it needs based service? Like, what does that kind of look like? Uh, yeah, I would say you know it really is centered around disciple making. Um, you know, we'd love to see the local church embrace um, the part of following Christ that welcomes and cares for the stranger. Um, and really uh, realize that um, these are people who have uh, not wanted to flee their homes. They have, 
you know, they didn't choose to come to, uh, you know, a place to find refuge. They would much rather be where they were in their homes in a mm -hmm. safe environment. But the fact is, is that um, through uh, certain events of persecution and that sort of thing, that made their way here and God has brought them to mm -hmm. our doorstep right here in Boise. And mm -hmm. so there's a real opportunity for the, for the church to come alongside them and care for them and love them and, and build relationship. And to do that, I really think, you know, for one to, to help mobilize uh, people, there, there has to be a sense of Jesus calling for them. And there's also a, a need to understand uh, the people that are coming and, and what it means to work cross-culturally, especially with people who've come with trauma and a, a lot of different suffering and pain that we can't understand, uh, you know, from from just uh, being here in Boise. So, um, so discipleship is a big part of, I think, how we teach uh, and, and kind of encourage this welcoming and walking alongside refugees. Um, so yeah, and then and then I think the other part is that connection piece where where we're really trying to uh, help bridge that gap to take the first step and to get involved uh, with refugee families through a variety of different programs that we have. Hmm. Yeah. So with this, with that, with that focus, what are some of the important lessons you guys have learned along the way <clears throat> that might give guidance to other ministry leaders or or maybe maybe churches that are interested in learning more or, or don't know how to step into this need. Right. Uh, well, I think one is like what we've said is the, the gospel, the gospel can be best understood in relationships and friendships. And so the love of Jesus is best expressed when we walk alongside people, take time to listen to them and, uh, you know, really uh, come to understand their struggles and their dreams. You know, what we found is that most people who've come as refugees, their dreams are really oriented around their children. Some of them have lost hope themselves uh, for their own futures, but they see a future in their, their kids. And so that's really a, a largely the focus of of what they want for their life here in the United States is, is uh, a life for their children. But I think, you know, one of the things that we've learned is that people are people wherever you go mm -hmm. in the world, um, that we have far more in common mm -hmm. than what we realize. And we discover that in relationship. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, I think we also discover that even though we may step into this thinking we're going to minister to someone, uh, we find that our own lives are enriched just as much, if not more, than, than what we can mm. offer others. So. And I think too, it, it gives a, you know, as you work with people who've gone through so much, um, I think it really helps shape your own perspective on your own life and just how privileged we are here. Um, mm -hmm. Even through, you know, there, it's not been the easiest in the States. I think we've all had a hard time with the pandemic and just different things going on, but it's always relative to what somebody else is going through. And yeah. as you walk with someone um, who's lost family members who have been torn from their own home um, and the comfort of what they had, it really helps shape and give you a perspective on the world and that God is at work and, mm -hmm. you know, that we can um, 
yeah, there's just a lot to be done and a lot for us to, um, sorry, I'm kind of losing my train of thought. <laughs> Cut that part out. Anyways, yeah, I think it's just perspective, understanding right. different parts of the world, having a more global um, mentality and not just a North America, U.S. mentality, I think is another really big thing that you gain and learn from yeah. interacting with people. I think, yeah, I, I just add, Zach, that I think one of the problems that um, happens is that people conflate different terms with regard to immigration. And immigration is a big umbrella term, you know, for for people who are moving to another country. Um, but forcibly displaced people are really a small subset of that overall immigration picture on a global scale. And right. Uh, yeah, so, you know, the, the idea where people conflate refugee, you know, with other types of immigrants becomes, I think, important to kind of make that distinction. Even within forcibly displaced people, there's quite a difference between uh, someone who is a refugee and someone who is seeking asylum. Uh, oh, and someone who's, who's come as a, a humanitarian parolee, for example. So mm -hmm. like a refugee forced from their home they flee to a second country like someone from syria needing to flee into another country would go to turkey and in turkey they would get their refugee status uh, from the united nations high commissioner for refugees and um, it would be years if not decades before they would actually be able to be resettled into a third country such as the united states and, and there's 30 different resettlement countries primarily in north america as europe and europe but um only less than one percent of all the refugees in the world get resettled and those coming to the united states is a far less percentage than that and so it's really on par with really winning the lottery you know <laughs> uh you know for someone wow. to, to be here in the united states as a refugee <clears throat> Um, there, there is uh, an incredible amount of, of thanks, uh, you, generally, you know, just for someone who's here and realizing that so many other people that wanted to be able to resettle in a third country could not do that. So, uh, yeah, I just, I just say that because um, refugees, uh, you know, will, would go through this very long, lengthy, uh, sometimes uh, three to five years of vetting process in order to be able to come to the United States. And so that's a lot of people don't realize that, that it's quite a process to get here. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so it, the, that program has been very successful in terms of how they vetted refugees. It's fact, it's the most successful and the most stringent vetting process of any other category of entrance into the United States, you know, so, Interesting. so people, yeah, I think, you know, it helps people to understand just what they've gone through and that journey that they've taken to get here. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you guys obviously have this like central, uh, focus, like it's part of your DNA that relationship is so key and hear that in in what you've already shared how does how does your work with refugees from say indonesia where you guys spent so much time um uh, or any other country it doesn't matter in the in this area of connection affect relationships with people 
and communities back in their home country. Do you find that those relationships that you've developed here in the Boise area have gospel implications and access back to the home country where the people you're serving are from? Yes, yeah, so the short answer is yes, and I'll let I'll let uh, Laura respond uh, from her perspective. From my my perspective in Indonesia, I worked with internally displaced people primarily uh, because of uh, natural disasters mm-hmm. uh, and you know earthquakes, tsunamis, and volcanoes and floods and and the like. And so uh, I, w- I was dealing with uh, people who had gone through a great deal of loss and pain. Uh, many lost. Um, family members and that sort of a thing. And so, uh, you know, I think that the the takeaway from that work is that um, you see people first before you Mm -hmm. see a victim. Mm -hmm. You begin to see them as, you know, as image bearers of God, people Mm. with untold capacities and untold gifts. Um, as opposed to seeing them as people who lack things and people who are victims. And so, you know, it, of course, we, we, we need to be able to see the trauma, the pain, the suffering that needs to be profoundly recognized, mm-hmm. but uh, it should not be what defines them. Uh, and mm-hmm. so, you know, we really, as seeing people <clears throat> as image bearers of God, we, we, we see a connection uh, to them as, as people and then are able to develop relationships within that context. And then we begin to really understand who they are just by taking the time to, to listen, uh, taking the time to understand and just, um, yeah, continuing to come back to this importance of building relationship that's it's really, I think that relationship is foundational part of people um, participating in their own uh, recovery, they're, that they're the ones that are driving their recovery, their own development into the future. And we are just merely coming alongside and walking with them in that process. But when we see begin to see people in that light rather than as victims and people who lack things, then then we begin to really, I think those friendships become that, you know, critical part of, as Laura mentioned, you know, uh, adding to their social capital and mm. and really seeing that they they and they and their communities have the capacity for recovery and for healing. Mm. Um. I think one of the things kind of taking a different slant on it um, is the idea of just seeing families here that that then are talking to their families back in their home country um, just about what what they've received here, who they who's walked alongside them. Um, Our work a lot of times is primarily with Muslims. Um, Most of the 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 groups or the people groups that we've kind of had a, a drawing towards have been from Muslim countries. I think because we worked in Indonesia for so long and we're very used mm. to working with Muslims. So in that sense, that's had a really profound impact. Um, we did have an opportunity and we've heard different stories of people that have gotten to travel to Jordan and meet members of families that they know here whose family members are in Jordan or Turkey or other countries that maybe um, we can travel to, but they can't yet. And so we've gotten to meet family members 
overseas of family members here, which has been, you know, that's just such an amazing touch. Um, Nick yeah. got to meet the brother of one of a good friend of ours here. And I got to meet the mother of one of a friend here and just being able to exchange that greeting from their, their relative here um, and exchange gifts for them, carry things for them. I think has been really profound and um, something that, you know, can be such a huge blessing to um, those families that are still waiting to be resettled back overseas. Yeah. That's cool. That's awesome. Well, Hey, let's uh, let's take a moment to hear from today's sponsor, but when we come back, we will continue our discussion with Nick and Laura Armstrong. Are you looking to grow your ministry but don't have the money or marketing knowledge to make that happen? There's good news. Google offers an advertising grant to churches and ministries that is worth $10,000 per month. This means that if your ministry is a 501c3 nonprofit, you are eligible to receive $120,000 per year in free advertising dollars. This allows you to place ads at the top of Google search results pages and drive thousands of visitors to your ministry website every month. Our sponsor, Click Nonprofit, helps your ministry acquire this Google Ad Grant and then manages your Google Ads to ensure you get the most out of the grant. Schedule a free consultation at clicknonprofit.com to learn more about how this grant can help your specific ministry. Mention the Ministry Growth Show when you sign up to get 20% off your first three months of management. Hi, welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. We've been talking with Nick and Laura Armstrong about their ministry, Local Community Partners. Uh, as we get back into it, guys, how are you working with working discipleship and disciple making into your programs and, and what you guys do? We've talked a little bit about it, but let's dive yeah. deeper into what that looks like. So I don't think you'll be surprised that I'll say relationship. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know, I think everything that we do is just built around the idea that you're building a, a relationship that is honest, a relationship that is, um, yeah, a mutual mutuality in the relationship. And so discipleship really is just that idea of walking alongside one another, um, just being the hands and feet of Jesus. And so I think it it's not necessarily uh, sitting down, opening your Bible and, and that kind of thing, just because of the people that we're working with. It's a, a sensitive um, group. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no. Uh, yeah. um, and so I think there's a, we want to be careful. We want to be respectful. And I think that's the kind of thing that we are also discipling our volunteers and how to walk alongside people, especially people who are Muslim and people who've come as refugees. Um, one of the things that we do is a training and it's a two hour training and it's for anybody that's going to volunteer with us. But a lot of times we just even have people who want to understand and learn more. And so in some ways that's a form of discipleship because we're the training encompasses everything from the numbers like the refugee 101 to working cross-culturally how do you help somebody to become self-sufficient and then looking at trauma and so in biblical and biblical and yeah. with a strong basis of why as christians do we walk why do we welcome the stranger 
And so, you know, I see that as also a big part of the discipleship that happens um, with Glocal is to the church and to the the people who are like seeking to understand better. What does it mean to welcome? Yeah, I'd say yeah. one other thing that, and this is especially what, what Laura has been involved with, uh, is the discipleship of people who are actually going to connect in those friendship teams mm-hmm. that we mentioned and, and uh, you know, helping them to, you know, kind of take that first step forward and not to overcome their fear, but to also have a trauma, uh, trauma-informed approach to people so that they're not trying to, you know, bring up stories of, of trauma or to re-trigger things that are just not uh, a good part of a healing process, but one that's sensitive to the people they're with. And, and yeah, just uh, walking alongside uh, teams that are willing to connect with other fam- refugee families are, is just a, an important part of that discipleship as well. Mm. And I, I just, I want to go back to that idea of mutuality. Um, so today was our Christmas party with the women that we teach English to. And we have women from about four or five different countries. And again, the majority of them come from Muslim um, countries. And we um, we don't shy away from sharing about the Christmas story. We tell them the Christmas story. But we do it with a sensitivity and an understanding that, you know, in the United States, Christmas isn't just a Christian holiday anymore. There's a, you know, community way, a non-religious way of celebrate pluralistic, you know, and so we try to share both. But Mm -hmm. then it's with the I'm not shoving my religion down your throat. I'm, I'm exposing. I'm letting you know about what Christmas means to us as Christians. And we hope that you will share back with us things that are important for you so that there's dialogue. I think that's the biggest thing is that we always want to be able to share and listen and be mutual and um, yeah, just be present and respectful with those who we're walking alongside. Yeah. Well, Nick, you, you talked about the, the trauma informed care and making sure that we're, you are um, taking care of uh, being respectful of some of the things that some of these people have walked through some of the experiences that they've had. Um, What does that look like when you start communicating uh, the stories of how God is moving through your ministry to your partners? Um, Mm. And by partners, I mean, I would classify that as people who are, financially invested in the organization or, or mm-hmm. at some level of volunteer work? Mm-hmm. Um, how are you communicating to them while staying respectful to your, the, those that you're serving mm-hmm. uh, and making sure that like storytelling is, in, is significant, it's important, mm-hmm. but we also want to make sure that we're not exploiting story at the expense of mm-hmm. and or, or detriment of those that we're mm-hmm. trying to serve, right? And so mm-hmm. do you guys find that that balance is difficult and how have you how have you found balance in that? Do you mm-hmm. want me to, oh. I would say that's something that we really wrestle with a lot. Um, I think, you know, at times if we're going to tell a story, if needed, we'll change the name or just not use names. Um we're really super, super careful about posting um, photos on social mm. media or anywhere without their permission. I um, 
a lot of times just have to promise if I take a picture that I will not post this, um, especially mm. for for women and for people that are coming from countries where they're fleeing because of persecution or um, whether it's persecution for their faith or like many of the Afghans, um, yeah. you know, they left with their lives intact, but are very worried about their families at home. Mm. And so I love that you're, what you guys do is trying to help people to be able to share their stories. And I'd love to learn more from you. Mm. Um, But I would say that is something that I find, yeah, that balance to me is always really hard Mm. because I want to honor the privacy of the people and our friendships. Mm -hmm. I never would want them to feel like I was exploiting um, what's happened to them in order to, um, benefit our ministry right. or whatever. And so, yeah, yeah, I would say that's been something I've wrestled with and I'm, I don't mm-hmm. have any great answers. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's difficult, right? Like, the, like you said, that these are situations that are difficult. Oftentimes there's trauma involved. You're coming out mm-hmm. of situation. These people are coming out of situations that we can't even imagine mm-hmm. here in the States mm-hmm. in most cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what to to one to help you in this area i would just say um it's okay that sometimes we don't tell these stories yeah. i think that there's this pressure on ministries to and this is coming from a storyteller right this is my yeah. passion <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. there's this pressure that we have to always tell a story mm-hmm. and sometimes these stories aren't complete sometimes these stories are in process right yeah. they're Absolutely. People are still gro- going through these things. They're still, Christ is still in the midst of this season of their life. Yeah. And the story isn't ready to be told, right? Because it doesn't have an end. A story has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And if mm-hmm. we're telling stories of people who are in the middle of that story, mm-hmm. um, that's where I think we, it, sometimes it can get dangerous because that story is not complete. It's not come to full fruition. And so, um, we had, we need to be able to take care and recognize. I think that's why, well, that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about training in storytelling structures and being able to re- uh, recognize where the story is in mm. in process. Yeah. Right. If I can look at somebody's story and recognize from from an outsider looking in really quickly that oh they're in the midst of this. And they have not come to the end. They've not come to the other side of the the story. Mm-hmm. Like that's not even a story I'm going to try to bring up to tell yeah. because yeah. it's not ready to be told. Yeah. And so um, that that's why I think it's important for especially ministry leaders and ministry marketing directors to be able to at least recognize story and story structure and, and see how stories are playing out because oftentimes in the ministry world, we're telling stories that aren't ready to be told and that can do more damage yeah. uh, to those we're trying to serve than, than otherwise. Yeah. And so um, just to give you permission that sometimes it's okay not to, it's yeah. okay. <laughs> you don't have to. That is such and good so, advice. Yeah. 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 That's, that's very helpful. I, I would say that there, you know, in the, the case of those who've come uh, from Afghanistan, there's another layer of complexity and danger, you know, w- the people who come from Afghanistan have primarily come under this uh, legal apparatus called humanitarian parolee. 
And okay. they've been granted that uh, because of their connection to the U.S. government, the U.S. military. And mm. so any sort of a word that hints to the Taliban of who this person is could endanger friends and family and that sort yeah. of thing. That right now, they're in a situation where many, much of their family are still having to move around in order to avoid uh, being you know, detected yeah. by the Taliban. And so wow. there's a lot of yeah trauma still going on. Like you said, it's a story in process. And they're still going through that trauma. And so, yeah, we really need to be sensitive to that story and sensitive to where they're at. So, so these would might have been people who was, were like a translator for our military over yeah. there. And now yeah. they've, yeah, and they've been granted some type of leave to come here in safety because of the support and investment they put into our military. Yeah. And yeah. And as you remember, you know, back uh, last year in September, not this August uh, or August in 2021, it was a very chaotic exit. And so, you know, there was there there were uh, people who not only were doing things within offices, but you you had uh, military units that were set up to work alongside, uh, you know, there were fighter pilots and all sorts of things that were doing Mm -hmm. all sorts of operations that were highly dangerous and highly um, visible to the Taliban. And so that, yeah, that especially those people, you know, if their, if their families were ever, uh, you know, detected by the Taliban, they would be in real, real danger. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. um, We have a whole course on our site dedicated to the ethics of storytelling and and the ways in which we can say one of these stories had uh, a cool and hopeful end, like there was some type of cool transformation, Christ transformation in somebody's life that we wanted to testify to. Um, There's, there's a way, there's always ways in which we can testify of what God has done Mm. without putting people in danger, without putting lives at at stake and at risk uh, pre- always seeking to protect identities and not give away faces and um, yeah. not give away voices like voices. The sound of somebody's voice can give somebody's identity away. And so yeah. there's ways in which we can do those things that allow us to tell the story. Like you said, using pseudonyms and, and other techniques that allow us to tell the story that allow us to give God glory for what he's done in that person's mm-hmm. life without putting them at risk. And so like, we're always trying to help ministries find that balance of how do we give God glory in the testimony of what he's done. And at the same time, protect uh, these people who are willing to share their story um, because those things both can happen at the same time. And so um, there's a lot of ways that we, in which we can do that. But um yeah, that's that's interesting. That's mm-hmm. it's always a struggle, right? Like that's a mm-hmm. that's a hard tightrope to walk. It's there's challenges at every turn, and um, and so yeah, you guys it seems like you guys are making sure to. I'd rather ministries default to the side of not storytelling than the side of exploiting story and, yeah. and yeah. putting people in danger. Well, right yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so how, how have you guys 
what are some of the things that you guys have done to keep supporters engaged and excited about what the ministry, what you're, what's up with the ministry? Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the things that I'm hoping to really focus on this next year as we've, mm. um, grown, we've kind of worn a lot of different hats. And so I've been doing program stuff and Nick's been doing a lot of financial and I, we've been able to hire some people to do more of the programs. Oh, cool. So that's kind of, I'm hoping to dive into like, how can we, you know, um, share more about what is going on at Glocal and, I mean, we've done just mainly the the normal things of newsletters and we do have social media. Um, we had a great first open house this last September that mm. really got to highlight what Glocal is doing. And I think that was really special. It was an interesting thing just even talking about this. How do you highlight the debate of do you have families that we've walked alongside? Do you have them at the open house or do they feel like they're being kind of Mm. Um, exploited or look at this person that we've helped. (laughs) And so, you know, it it just, it, it, it invades every part of what we're trying to do because you want to say, you know, these are wonderful, amazing people, but you also don't want them to feel like, well, guy, you know, I have to be here because they helped me kind of thing. And so um, it is, you know, I just, I know the importance of it and I, yeah, continue to just learn and find that balance of, Mm helping people catch a vision for it. Yeah. And I was thinking of, you know, another thing that I think a lot of churches in the Valley don't recognize uh, is that um, there were three resettlement agencies in Boise and um, the Christian resettlement agency world relief had to close its doors in 2017 because of the numbers of refugees that were coming into Boise went way, way down. Um, and that, uh, that reality, I think, really helped uh, us to realize that we, we're still an agency that's Christian. We love Jesus. We follow Jesus. And, and so we're an agency that is working with refugees that churches can turn to to say, mm. you know, if we want to get involved with those who've come as refugees, here's, here's an agency that we can look to and, and support. Mm-hmm. And so we're hoping to get that message out more, I think, in, in the, the next years as well. Yeah. Mm, so, that's cool. Yeah. Well, and, and just to, we had, uh, it's been a while since they were on, but we had a, um, the co-founders of Exile International on our show mm. years ago. Have you guys ever heard of them? Yeah. So they do work. Um, uh, they do a lot of like trauma care for children okay. who have experienced, uh, who have who have been involved in like the, um, what's that called? Like the child warfare stuff. Like they. Oh wow. Africa. And so yeah. these kids, a lot of these kids have had unimaginable trauma that they've experienced, oh, yeah. and through God's redemptive work in their life through the work that Exile International is doing. Um, there's incredible stories of life transformation in these kids' mm. hearts. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we always encourage ministries to do when we're talking about story is first and foremost, we have to make sure that we're getting permission from the people that we're, from the, the stories that we're, t- the people of the stories that we're telling. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to, if you're going to invite somebody who's work you've worked with and served um, 
to some type of event where you're going to put their story essentially up on a pedestal for all to yeah. see. Like we need their permission first and foremost. Yeah. And if we don't have it, like it doesn't happen. Yeah. And, but when, what we talked about this a little bit with exile international, what they've experienced is when they go to these kids and say, Hey, we're kind of thinking we'd like to tell your story, but we want to know if you would be willing to share your story in the first place. Like they always for permission is number one Mm -hmm. in most cases. Like I think they quoted 90% of cases. These kids are so excited that somebody wants Mm -hmm. to share their story Mm -hmm. and they're Mm -hmm. so excited to testify of what God has done in their heart and in their life that they like are overwhelmed with joy that they get to share that and testify of what he's done. Mm -hmm. And I talked about this in uh, one of my previous episodes earlier today. um, And we talk about it in a lot of our coursework, but there's this guy named Dr. Kurt Thompson, um, who is a Christian psychologist and has done a lot of research on the power of storytelling Mm. and the process of sharing one story and the process of somebody hearing somebody else's story, like in that interaction, there is physical healing that takes place in both the storyteller and the person hearing the story. And so um, there's opportunity to enter into some of this trauma that people have experienced. And by the testimony of what God has done in their life, there can be healing in that process. And so um, man, there's so many cool opportunities to, um, isn't it like our God mm-hmm. that when we bring him glory, when we testify of what he's done, there's physical benefit. Like not, not that that's the point of it, mm-hmm. but there's always something additional that he's just like, here, I'm just going to sprinkle you with this mm-hmm. because I'm so good. Right. And so. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting that you, we were at a conference where a psychologist was talking just about um, people who've experienced trauma, PTSD, Mm -hmm. that even the relationship, having a strong relationship, somebody who is a listener, somebody that's going to be consistent in your life, that's another physical healing that happens, like we've seen what can happen in the brain. and so that's a lot of what motivates us too, is just God is so amazing that he does bring healing and it can mm-hmm. be through storytelling. It can be just through that friendship, that consistent relationship, sense of safety, sense and, of safety and yeah, yeah right. all those kind of things. So, yeah. Well, and even in that relationship, like in relationship, we're caught, we, that's how we interact and communicate with one another is yeah. through yeah. sharing stories. And so, yeah. I think that in the ministry space, we tend to consolidate storytelling to, oh, that's for the marketing space. But you could be telling stories within these relational groups that you guys are building, having people share stories with one another uh, and have that be a significant part of your ministry without ever sharing a story to the public eye. And it still is a way of using storytelling for the benefit of those people that you've served for the benefit of your volunteers, for the benefit of your staff. And it doesn't have to be tied to your marketing and all those metrics. Like there's ways in which we can use this Mm -hmm. powerful tool that we've all been called to. Like we see it all throughout scripture. Mm -hmm. Um, And and it doesn't have, like, I think we just obsess over and focus too much on what this is going to do for my marketing. Like let's take a step back and see how much wider, this medium can be applied 
and see that there's all kinds of areas where we can use it for for the benefit of our ministry yeah, yeah. So, that's great you know god can work in the heart of man through that yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. guys, this has been a really fun conversation. I've enjoyed having you guys on. If people oh, want to learn more, so uh, if there's church leaders out there that are listening, um, if they want to learn more about what you're doing and they want to get involved, how can they get a hold of you? Probably the best, easiest way is to go to our website. So www.glocalboise.org. So global, G-L-O-C-A-L. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Boise, no dot in between. Um, I think, and then there's a web .org, yeah. .org, but um, there's a link to contact us, and that's probably the easiest way to cool. get a hold of us. Yeah. Yeah, we'll make sure to put that in the show notes so that people oh, can get Thank access you so to much. that. Yeah. Can I pray for you guys and and the ministry? Oh, thanks. thanks. Yeah. Father, I just lift up. Um, I just lift up the Armstrongs and uh, ask that you would bless them and their ministry. Um, that you would go before them, continue to go before them and um, just guide and lead and um, just that they would experience your love through this process, Father. I think that it's easy for us ministry leaders to get so tied down and caught up in the to-do and the running and the Mm -hmm. um, chasing after our to-do list that we get Mm -hmm. bogged down and forget that we get to be a part of what you're doing, that we're walking with you through this. But first and foremost, you want an intimate and close relationship with us. And so I pray that they would just experience your love as they are walking in obedience to this call you've placed on their heart. I uh, thank you so much for Nick and Laura and this opportunity to have this conversation, to learn about what they're doing, to learn about what you are doing through this ministry. Um, I pray that you would just um, bless them, bless the ministry and continue to work in the lives of people who've been displaced. Lord, we know that your heart is interested in, and in caring for people who have um, the sojourner who've been displaced out of their home. And so um, you've done that for all of us. um, And we just thank you that we get to be a part of this redemptive work, Lord in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Zach. Yeah, thank you guys. And uh, you know, we uh, appreciate you being on the show and, and we'll be in touch, okay? Sounds great. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.